Hello and welcome to the Stock Podcast. I'm Nate Abercrombie, the host of the only investing podcast that gives everyone the chance to hear public company CEOs and CFOs describe their business and provide the investment case for their company. In this episode, the Stock Podcast is really excited to bring you an interview with Kirk Andrews, CFO of NRG Energy. Ticker symbol is NRG. Having Kirk on the program is an extremely special privilege for me personally. Out of all the companies I've covered, NRG has by far been the most educational, exciting, and rewarding investing experiences of my life. A quick look at NRG's stock price chart, balance sheet, and some of the news headlines over the past five years would tell you why. So for me to have Kirk on the program is a really big treat. My hope is that you'll learn something about the company NRG as well as something about electricity markets. Electricity is probably the most underappreciated commodity today. Consider that for a minute. What are the three most essential things you do in your daily lives? Now ask yourself if you could do any of them without electricity. I'd bet that at least one of those things couldn't be accomplished without electricity. Probably more than two. I think there are two reasons why electricity is so underappreciated. First, we take it for granted as a society, which means we just don't think about it that much. And second, electricity and the electricity markets are extremely complicated. If I asked you to guess what is the most frequently referenced technological advancement in the modern world, what would your answer be? I'll give you a second to think about it. The Grid. A digital frontier. I tried to picture clusters of information as they moved through the computer. Okay, Kevin Flynn is admittedly talking about a different type of grid, but I couldn't find another good movie reference, so that one will have to do. But the electric grid is widely thought of as one of the greatest technological accomplishments of the 20th century. But unless we're talking about caveman achievements like the discovery of fire or the wheel, great inventions like the grid are highly complex. At a high level, the grid consists of power stations, high-voltage transmission lines, substations, and lower-voltage distribution lines. But the functional complexities are far too difficult for me to even try to explain. It's important to highlight a little bit of history. In the past, electric companies across the U.S. were allowed to have monopolies. Why is that? Well, just think about how a city would look if you had five utilities competing for customers. You'd have five times the number of power poles, power lines, and power stations. And the cost of electricity would also be something close to five times higher. There would be an enormous inefficiency. So states, cities, and municipalities permitted the existence of utility monopolies. But these monopolies were regulated by local commissions. And those local commissions allowed the utilities to earn a, what we call a regulated rate of return or allowed rate of return on the equity that was invested in the infrastructure. Some of these monopolies still exist today. Depending on where you live, you either have a choice when it comes to the power you consume, or you don't. I live in Denver. My only option for electricity is Excel Energy. Excel is a local utility, and they own the power plants, they own the transmission lines, substations, and distribution lines. 
But back in the 1970s, a piece of legislation was introduced that basically sowed the seeds of electric deregulation. It's a long story with a lot of boring details, but just know that deregulation eventually led to the breakup of the traditional utility monopoly. But only certain parts of the United States adopted the new model. The easiest way to think about the breakup is that utilities could no longer own both the power plants and the electric wires in a region that adopted deregulation. This is, at least in part, how NRG came into being. Today, deregulated markets exist in California, Texas, the mid-Atlantic and the northeastern parts of the U.S., as well as the Midwest. If you live in these areas and your house or residence doesn't use candles for lighting, you probably get to choose where your electricity comes from. It's very important to highlight the fact that transmission and distribution are still a monopoly, no matter where you are. But the power generation piece became competitive. The thought was that by allowing for competition, power generators would become more efficient. Now here is where things start to get really, really, really complicated. How is power generated? A company like NRG has a portfolio of generation assets that uses coal, natural gas, uranium, wind, water, oil, and the sun as feedstock for their power plants. Coal, natural gas, oil, and uranium are commodities whose prices fluctuate with supply and demand. At the same time, the price for power is also influenced by fluctuations in the supply and demand for electricity. So just to dig a little bit deeper into supply and demand for power, electricity consumption has been relatively flat over the past couple of decades. One of the biggest reasons for that has been continued success in reducing electricity consumption through efficiency gains. At the same time, our nation's power supply has been significantly impacted by a myriad of different factors. Federal and state regulations on emissions for coal, new rules and requirements for nu nuclear facilities post-Fukushima, incentives for renewable energy facilities, significantly lower natural gas prices resulting from the shale boom. I can't emphasize how important these factors are when it comes to power supply and power prices. To put things in perspective, Coal-fired electric generation has declined by more than 40% over the past 10 years. Why? Natural gas prices went from close to 15, 16 bucks per million cubic feet to about two to three dollars per million cubic feet, which meant that natural gas-fired generation was a lot cheaper than coal-fired generation. This also meant that natural gas-fired generation grew by more than 30% over the past 10 years, which I should note grew off of an already fairly sizable number. Renewable energy generation grew by 60%, albeit off of a pretty small number, but keep in mind that renewable energy facilities variable cost or the cost of power when you factor in fuel cost is zero because there's no fuel cost. That means that a renewable energy facility will produce power as long as the price per unit of power is greater than zero. Unless there is another form of compensation to produce electricity, that isn't tied to market prices. If your head is spinning, I apologize, but it's important to go just a little bit deeper. Renewable energy plants receive tax incentives which aren't tied to the price of power. The Production Tax Credit, or PTC, which you may recall from the Mike Garland interview, is a tax credit that is given to renewable energy plants for every unit of production. The PTC is around $24 per megawatt hour, meaning that if the power price declines to negative $20 an hour, that's right, like negative $20 an hour, a renewable energy plant that has elected to take the production tax credit will continue to earn 
$4 a megawatt hour, meaning they're still cash flow positive. Yeah, that's right. A renewable energy facility will continue producing power when the power prices are negative. So what does that mean for a conventional power plant like coal, nuclear, hydro, or natural gas? Well, if the power plant cannot decrease output fast enough, that plant will actually have to pay to produce electricity while at the same time have to pay for the costs associated with producing that electricity. Pretty convoluted and complicated, isn't it? This brings us full circle to the independent power producers and NRG. A little fun fact, NRG is the only competitive power producer that has been publicly traded over the past two consecutive years. You may be wondering why that's even close to being a fun fact, but for a dork like me, it's extremely fascinating. Two years ago, there were four publicly traded competitive power producers, Calpine, Dynagy, NRG, and Talon. Today, the only publicly traded power producers are NRG and a company called Vistra Energy. Calpine was purchased by the private equity firm Energy Capital Partners. Talon was purchased by the private equity firm Riverstone. And Dynagy was purchased by Vistra Energy. Why is that? This is purely my point of view, so please take it with a grain of salt. Maybe a teaspoonful of salt, or even a tablespoon. But my reasoning goes back to the second rationale as to why electricity as a commodity and a convenience are so underappreciated. The competitive power generators are vastly misunderstood. I'd also add that because there are so few of them, why as an investor should you spend the time learning about them when you have so much else on your plate? And related to that, because there isn't a large investor base that is willing to do the work, there's just very little equity sponsorship. And by that I mean there just isn't a very large number of investors who are willing to buy and hold the equity. While I cannot advocate ownership of NRG, I would encourage potential investors to investigate the concept of the fully integrated power model. It's a loaded term, I know, but the way to think about it is this way. A fully integrated power producer has both a retail business and a power generation business. And this is something that I think investors focus very, very little on. The power generation business sells power at wholesale power prices, and the retail business sells power at retail rates, based on a rate that is locked in for the next 12 to 24 months. So sure, there's enormous volatility in power prices, but there's quite a bit of stability in retail prices. So if wholesale power prices go up significantly, maybe your margins on the retail side of the business shrink a little bit. But if wholesale prices decline materially, your margins on the retail business expand quite significantly. This is a model that NRG and the other competitive power producers have been trying to prove out for quite some time. But admittedly, this business model hasn't gained that much attention and for some reason doesn't look very attractive for quite a few investors. But one last thing that I'll harp on and I hope the audience takes to heart is that the market can be somewhat fickle at times. But to see this level of interest from private equity should raise some investor eyebrows. I mean, do they know something that we don't? And one last thing before we get to the interview, I personally do own NRG shares. And without further ado, let's get to the interview. Thank you so very much for coming onto the podcast. I've really been looking forward to talking about your business and the outlook and just all things NRG. So sincere thanks for coming on. It means a lot. My pleasure, mate. No problem. So if you don't mind, let's start with your background. What were the factors that led you to NRG and, and what were you doing before NRG? Yeah, well, as I, as I often say, uh, admittedly tongue in cheek, I am a recovering banker, specifically investment banker. And I, I'm, there's maybe a 12 step program there. I'm not sure which one I'm on, but <sighs> I originally started out in investment banking on Wall Street, um, not actually in the power industry. I was in mergers and acquisitions originally going all the way back to back when there were names, 
like Solomon Brothers, which is one of the predecessors I work for, and evolved up through all the consolidations in, in banking. Always stayed at the same place. And over the course of my career, I, in M and A, I from time to time supported the the power practice and the energy practice. So. I began to get my exposure to the power markets and the companies, both utilities and IPPs, really from the banking side, really from the mergers and acquisitions side. And ultimately, I was offered a role to actually run the investment banking practice for power, first at City and then later at Deutsche Bank. And during that part of my tenure, I came to know NRG more obviously as a client. And when the CFO at NRG was moving on, in 2011, I got a call from the company asking me if I'd come and be the CFO. Uh, I'd never thought about, at that point, making an immediate move to the corporate side, but one of the nice things about NRG for me was if I was going to do so, and if I had to list a handful of companies I'd even consider, I'd certainly think NRG was among them. And primarily, it's because it was in the, in the competitive part of the market. Not to take anything away from the regulated utilities, but a lot more breadth and depth of transactions interesting, you know, structure of the markets, M&A and the like. And so it was, you know, short and long-winded way of saying it was the right opportunity at the right time to leave a career in investment banking that I admittedly had enjoyed quite a lot. Yeah. Could you talk about the history of NRG? So you, you talked about the competitive nature and, and you mentioned the other side of the utility fence, which is regulated utilities. Could you just maybe provide us with the longer dated history of NRG? It was owned by Excel Energy, correct? Yes, owned by Excel Energy as a subsidiary of Excel. Excel Energy, like a lot of what we would think about is regulated utilities under the old model of regulation. In the early days in the advent of deregulation, a lot of those companies like Excel had formed subsidiaries that owned deregulated power plants in, in, in the you know increasing number of deregulated markets. And so... Excel actually originally had, had looked to take NRG public. I, I think they did take NRG public maybe as far back as, as 1999. I think they bought it back in at some point. A short time thereafter, NRG, like a lot of the IPPs in the early days of deregulation, went through a, went through a bankruptcy process. And so the company that we know at its core as NRG today Obviously, no longer in Minnesota. That was part. Of, that was one of the things that brought NRG to Princeton, New Jersey, which is where we're headquartered now. Was post the emergence from bankruptcy, and so that that was basically how NRG came to be the public company it is today. It was really an emergence from bankruptcy as a public company. It existed previously for a short period of time as a public company, albeit as a subsidiary of, of Excel Energy. Yeah. So, what were the circumstances that led to NRG's bankruptcy back in the mid two thousands? Well, it, it, it is tied to the catalyst that really formed NRG in the first place, albeit as a subsidiary of Excel. And that was really the early days of deregulation in the power markets. Folks that are familiar with deregulation of quasi or full monopolized industries in the history of the United States, telecom comes to mind, airlines come to mind, and obviously power is one of them. And, you know, in the 1990s, really, I think 1992, they had the, the original National Energy Policy Act that began, you know, the process towards deregulating parts of the power market into more of a competitive market structure. And the idea behind that, obviously, is, as I know you're, you're aware, was that uh, monopolistic industries don't tend to innovate quite as efficiently, don't tend to control costs, competition. 
competition obviously drives prices down and there was an eye towards what you might imagine is a benefit to the consumer. I mean, you know, originally as is largely the case uh, in any of this type of situation, it was really more driven by, you know, the industrial users of power more so than the consumer. But the ultimate rationalization I think was that the consumer would benefit by moving as much as possible of the, what we think about is power, electricity, our electricity bills toward a more competitive market with the idea being that the ultimate benefit of that would, would go to the customer. And, you know, anytime you go through a deregulation, you have a lot of, you know, when you call it teething pains or what have you. And, you know, in the advent of that in the 1990s and going into the 2000s, that, that basically deregulating power, which is largely deregulating the power plant part of it, not the poles and the wires. It's hard to have redundant poles and wire systems competing with each other. It's just not logistically possible. When that took place, it, it really entailed taking the power generation assets out from what we used to talk, call the regulated utilities. And when that was originally done, the value of those power plants was then going to be based on the price of power the, you know, in the open market. You know, the value of those plants was actually lower at that time because largely because natural gas prices, which drive the price of power, because that's kind of the feedstock uh, for a lot of the power plants, or at least the one that set the, what we call the marginal price per power. The value of those power plants was actually, you know, in most cases lower than the original capital that was put into them by the regular utilities. And so the utilities were kind of provided an ability to recover the difference between what they'd invested in the plants and what they were now worth. And uh, both with, you know, some of the painful lessons learned and what not to do in terms of deregulation of power in California suffered probably the brunt of that in the 2000s, as well as as natural gas prices, you know, began to increase, well, first fall and then increase, it had a, you know, kind of a whipsaw effect on the price of power. And, you know, in the early days, a lot of those companies like NRG had been capitalized on the basis of where the, then the profit margins were. And as, as those margins began to erode, and for companies like NRG, when natural gas prices are low, and you don't own natural gas-fired power plants, your profit rises and falls with the price of natural gas. I mean, what we used to say is, because NRG originally was more of a coal-fired generating business than anything else. And so what that means is, what we used to say is, you know, we sell coal at natural gas prices, right? Because the, the, if natural gas sets the price of power, and if natural gas is really, really high, the higher it goes, the price of coal stays relatively steady, your profit margin gets bigger. But when natural gas prices started to fall, the profit margin of those plants and obviously the capital structure they were based upon came under stress. And that always results ultimately in acute situations like it was in the case of NRG and many others in a restructuring context, obviously here in the course of bankruptcy. But as you well know, most if not all of the early day IPPs because of that same circumstance I just described went through their own restructures. NRG was probably one of the first ones Al probably went through a quicker bankruptcy process so they were able to get off with a healthier capital structure. I think it was around 2003 and that's the company at its core that exists today. If you'd like to continue listening to this interview, you'll need to become a member. To become a member, visit the website at thestockpodcast.com. Members have access to all full-length episodes. So go to the website, thestockpodcast.com, and click membership at the top. And with that, take care and good luck with your portfolio.